thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. We start a new series. Oh, there's a nice graphic on the back there. That's good. In the book of Isaiah, if you remember back to Christmas, we looked at Isaiah and uh, unto us a child is born, just that passage. And I said we'd be coming back to it because there's so much good stuff in Isaiah. There's so many verses that you will know from fridge magnets, but actually it's important that you get them in the context. And Isaiah came to bring a word to God's people at a really important time. And as you see, I've subtitled it, Certain Hope and Unshakable Promise, that even in the midst of difficulty, God says there is hope. And God's promises are the same today and yesterday. And the road goes up and down. Life, life's road is never it's just a flat road, is it? There's ups and downs, but actually it does get to the future. I've explained it. There we go. We could have done the WL lines name, we couldn't we? Anyway. <laughs> so we start a new series. We're going to look at Isaiah. If you haven't got a Bible with you, bring one. If you haven't got a Bible, ask me and I'll give you one. If you want to read along, if you say, I struggle reading the Bible, why don't you read the passages that we're reading? Because then it starts to sink in and say, God, speak to me afresh. And he might give you other insights than I do. So we're going to look over the next 10 weeks or so at the book of Isaiah, looking at some key passages of prophecy that we need to be aware of. So it's important to recognize that God's heart is the same today as it was then. That God's message to his people a couple of thousand years ago is the same now to you and to me. And we need to hear it and we need to act on it. We need to recognize what God is consistently saying. So we're just going to read verse 1 first of all to set the background. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, a rebellious nation. So Israel, the children of Israel have been split into two sections. There's Judah with Jerusalem and there's Israel. It's the longest of the prophetic books. It's a collection of Isaiah's visions that he saw that God gave him to deliver to his people. And it starts, the first section is a warning. It's a warning to the people of where they currently are. So I don't know where you are this morning, or where you currently are this morning, but sometimes God might want to warn us. We don't like that bit, do we? We don't like that warning. But the Bible says that God is a father. And as we read some of these warnings, some of the language might sound very strong to our ears. We might, we might bristle a little bit, because we, we, you know, God is a God of love. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of grace and mercy. But it's the language from Isaiah of a father warning a child of the dangers of continuing down a certain path. Let's let's think about that a little bit. I can remember being told when I went to my cousin's house, I was not to play on the building site at the bottom of the road because they were building new houses. I was told in no uncertain terms, 
don't go and play on the building site because it's a dangerous place. Anything could happen. You could even die. You know, I don't think my mum and dad perhaps said it quite so strongly, but there are often signs, aren't there? Danger of death. Keep out. Don't play on the building site because all sorts of things could happen. It was fraught with danger, fraught with potential difficulties. I was also told not to ride my cousin's big bike because I was only small. And on my eighth birthday, I was at my cousin's house. And I decided I was going to ride his bike. And guess what I did? I got on it, fell off it, straight into a rosebush. Horrible, prickly, painful, covered in scratches and, and not very pleasant. And later on that same day, guess what I did next? Went and played on the building site. We played hide and seek. We played hide and seek. And it was my turn to count. And I stood on the building site and I crouched down, I shut my eyes, and I counted while all my friends hid. And I got to the point where you say, ready or not, and I went, coming ready or not, forgetting that just above me was a little bit of the building site. And guess what happened? I ended up with blood streaming down my head. Screaming. I can remember being carried, screaming down this street as blood streamed down my head. My, I think it was my sister that was carrying me at the time. And actually, she carried me back to the house. At that point, I don't think there was any I told you so's. There was more a case of, we need to get him to hospital. It was that deep. I had to go to Bolton Royal Infirmary and have stitches in the deep gash that opened up. The reason I'm telling you that story is my mum couldn't have seen exactly what was going to happen. She just gave me a general warning. But can you imagine if she'd have warned me that day by saying, if you, Jonathan, continue to be... Jonathan, see, I was in trouble, obviously. If you, Jonathan, continue to be disobedient, you will be carried screaming with blood gushing from your head. You will be wounded and beaten down. Your tears and cries will fill the street and the red of your blood will flow in the gutters. Could you imagine if she'd have said that to me? But that actually is what happened. Because I was disobedient. It wasn't my mum's fault. But it happened because I was disobedient. <laughs> I didn't do what was there to keep me safe. You with me? So sometimes when we hear the extreme words, we need to recognise that the extremity is as the result of our wrong action. It's not God's fault. It's not God saying, I'm, I'm, I'm delighting in doing this. God is a father saying, don't go down that path because this is going to happen. And at that point, I won't be able to help you. The first section of the book of Isaiah is all about the warnings of carrying on down the path. Judah and particularly Jerusalem are going down. But there is a certain hope and an unshakable promise because actually, even in the midst of the warning, there is a way. Even in the midst of the warning and even in the midst of the, 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 the threat almost of what's going to happen, there is a promise of hope and there is a promise of redemption. There is a way to avoid the future problems because God is merciful. So throughout this book of Isaiah, we will see a tension. And I want to say to you this morning, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, I believe some of you and many of us are still living with that tension in our lives right now. Uh, you might be sat there having been a Christian for years and years and years, but I believe there is still that tension of disobedience and obedience. There is still that tension of not listening to the warning, of not listening to what could happen, and instead only focusing on the way. 
We need to recognize, on the one hand, God is holy and he cannot stand sin. He can't stand that sin to be in his presence. He's holy. But on the other hand, he is merciful and he loves and he forgives and he wants desperately that we avoid the troubles ahead, just like a good, good father. That's what Isaiah has come to say, a warning. You've got to change. You've got to do something different. I know Barry used to live with me, sorry to name drop, and he used to say regularly, the definition of insanity, I think I've shared it before, the definition of madness is doing the same thing and expecting different results. It's right, isn't it? Yeah, it's true, isn't it? The definition of madness is doing the same thing but expecting different results. So why do we keep doing the same things? Why is it that we're so willing to be disobedient? And you can sit there today, you might have been a Christian, you know the thing that you struggle with. And I believe God is saying, we need to change. We need to turn around and we need to get back on the road. Let's go to verse 10. We're going to read from verses 10 to 20 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought he was talking to Jerusalem. I thought he was talking to Jerusalem and Judah. He is. What he's saying is, you've become just like that lot. You're no different to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah back in the day. You're no different to what they were doing. You're worshiping bits of wood. You're worshiping sex. You're worshiping all these other things, and you've taken your eyes off me. You're no different. God, in his warning, is saying, Judah, Jerusalem, you're supposed to be my people. And yet your hearts are chasing after other things. Is that similar to us today? I think so. Our hearts so often chase after other things. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 to 15. This is the harsh bit. This is the warning. Are you ready? The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies." Your new moon feasts, your new moon feasts, and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Strong language, isn't it? Strong. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. I could just stop there this morning and that could be our reading for the day and we'll all go away really cheerful. Because it's basically saying, what you're doing, I can't stand. God is saying to his people, they're worshipping. These, these feasts and these festivals and these sacrifices that are mentioned are all part of the law. They're supposed to do them. But it was never meant to just be a ritual. It was never meant to just be a routine. It was never meant to just be something that you do. It was designed to say, actually, sacrifice and worship can get messy. But actually, I don't want this way. I'd rather you weren't having to make the sacrifices. 
I would rather you weren't having to shed that blood. I would rather that you actually were holy as I am holy. But you keep choosing the wrong way. At the heart of Israel was worship. At the heart of Judah was worship. At the heart of Jerusalem, the temple, was worship. And at the heart of their worship was sacrifice. It had to cost something. It wasn't just turning up at the temple, singing a few songs. It wasn't even about turning up at the temple. This morning, we've just sung a song that Paul chose. You know, I'll bring you more than a song. Yet so often, some of us, that's all we want to do. In the New Testament, it says we need to be living sacrifices. And I think someone said before, the problem with living sacrifices is they can crawl off the altar. (laughs) The problem with a living sacrifice, they can move. Where are you today? Where is God speaking to you in this problem? Where is it that you're just singing a song? Where is it that it's not really costing you? Where is it that you're not recognizing where to turn? In book group this week, we read a similar analogy. Imagine when I was going out with Roz. I would get little gifts for her. I would, wouldn't I? Honest. I'm not just remembering this through rose-tinted spectacles. I would get little gifts for her from time to time. You know, maybe some flowers. It was hard. She was a florist. I had to be really sort of sneaky in getting those. And people say, oh, she works with them all day. Why would she want them? And she'd like, I work with them all day because I like flowers. Why would I not want them? And so I used to have to make phone calls to try and make sure I could get them to her. And I would get her some flowers. I'd also get Alpini chocolates from Thorntons, yeah? I can see she likes those. If you ever want to get Ros anything, now that you're going to be inundated. I got lots of Biscoff last week. Um, Ros Ros liked Alpini chocolates from Thorntons. Those were her favourites, and so I would get her a little bag of those. Because I wanted to show her that I loved her. I wanted to show her that I loved her. I would sometimes get her, you know, Turkish apple tea from Wittards. Funny story about Turkish apple tea. We once went as a family to Turkey... And in the hotel we were staying, they had a little bazaar one night, and you could buy all these different flavoured Turkish teas. Have you tried the powdered stuff, yeah? Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about or not? If you've never tried it, Wittard's Turkish apple tea, really nice. Pure sugar, I think. But anyway, it's really nice. And uh, we went to this bazaar and you could get pomegranate tea. You could get... Um, Peach tea. You get all these different flavours. So we we helped ourselves to a few samples. We went home with a suitcase full of see-through bags of white powder. I am so glad that we never got stopped because I would have had a really hard time explaining that. You know, but it was amazing. I would get her these things because she liked them. Sometimes maybe perfume or maybe I'd write a card or a letter because I wanted to show her that I loved her. But can you imagine if I'd just bought the gifts and never spent time with her, never spoke to her, never actually wanted to be with her? That doesn't make sense, does it? Never wanted to, to, to do the things that she would want me to do. What about if I still bought the gifts but then saw a different person somewhere else? That's wrong, isn't it? But that's what God is saying to his people. You're bringing me the gifts, but actually... You're you're seeing somebody else. You're bringing me the stuff and you're going through the motions, but you're seeing somebody else. That's not what I want. Why should I listen to you if that's the case? That makes sense, doesn't it, these harsh words, when we think of it that way. You're bringing me stuff, but your hearts are actually over there. 
The rest of the time, you're seeing somebody else. That is the equivalent of Judah's treatment of God. God says, I don't want your religion. I don't want your rituals. I don't want your gifts, really. I want your love. I want your worship. I want your devotion. Sacrifice was a messy business. It was designed to show the consequence of sin. Judah and Jerusalem were doing the religious stuff, but they'd forgotten to be obedient. Is that you and me today? Are we just going through the motions? Are we just doing the stuff, but actually not really in love with God? Is that us? Only you can answer that question. Maybe you've never considered this before. God says, I've had it up to here. I'm warning you, this is not what it's about. If you carry on down this path, it will end in tears. And it will be difficult, and it will be messy, and it will be uncomfortable. You don't really want my presence? That's fine. I'll leave. Because God is fair. So actually, if people spend their lives saying, I don't really want your presence, I don't really want your instruction, I don't really want what you're telling me to do, then actually, surely that's fair of God. A bit like the parable of the prodigal son, isn't it? The father in that story doesn't go chasing after the son. He allows the son to make his choice. But when the son hits rock bottom, he realizes that the best place for him to be is the father. And the father just waits. God is waiting for you today. He is waiting for you, no matter how far away you have gone from him, no matter how far away you've run from him, no matter how far you've hidden from him, He's waiting, he's watching, and he wants you to come back to him. While these practices were instilled so that people could demonstrate their love, God wanted their hearts and their obedience. He wants the same today. This letter is written to you. He wants your heart and your obedience. Are you willing to give him it? He is God. He isn't some downtrodden partner who'll just let you carry on. He's one who says, clear off if you try and trample on my grace. Yes, I'm merciful. Yes, there is hope. Yes, there is promise. But don't keep walking all over them. Don't keep thinking you can do whatever you like and I'll still listen to your prayers. Do we say to people who come into church, clear off, you're trampling on God's grace? No, because that's God's job, not ours. Our job is to love people and to pray that God will speak. So this morning, I pray that God will speak to you, that you will turn from the path you're on. And each one of us have taken little detours. You know, verse 15 sounds incredibly harsh. I am not listening, I will hide my face. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? The way I think of this is, sometimes Ros will start to tell me something. We'll sit down at the end of a busy day, we'll both be tired, and Ros will will start to tell me something really important. And sometimes, when she walks, she dawdles a bit, don't you? She's great, but the kids will say, you know, come on, Ross, come on. She, 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 she ambles along because she's taking photos and all these other things. And sometimes when she talks, a bit like Chloe, they'll go around the houses before they get to the point. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's right, isn't it? Yeah? So sometimes, to save time, I'll try and guess what she's going to tell me. Yeah? Any other fellas do that one? Yeah, yeah, Jake. Jake's put his hand up, Kerry. Okay? And sometimes I'll try and guess where she's trying to go. So I'll, I'll just butt in to try and get the rest of the story there. And do you know that sometimes she'll say to me, right, I'm not telling you then. <laughs> and no matter how much I plead, no matter how much I ask, certainly she doesn't tell me. 
She just doesn't tell me. She's like, right, not telling you. I am not telling you. And, you know, that strategy can work wonderfully, can't it? The strategy to butt in can work wonderfully, as long as it's not in a quiz with Bible questions. But it can, it's not a great strategy for building a good relationship. And Ross says, right, I'm not telling you. I've had it up to here. It's very similar to this passage, really, isn't it? I've had it up to here with your interruptions. I am going to turn my face away from you. I am not going to share my news. And actually, that's fair, because I've been a pain. And I've got to try and learn to be the right person. I've got to try and learn to listen. And I plead and I plead, but I've been warned enough times. Haven't I? But she doesn't relent. She's trying to teach me not to do it. But I don't always learn. Just like last week, I need to get it from my head to my heart. Can I complain when it happens? No. Because she's already told me that's what's going to happen. <laughs> if I do it again, that's what's going to happen. And I still sometimes do it again. Yeah? So God says, I've told you enough times, I'm not listening now. What will it take for you and me today to listen? To really listen to what God is trying to get through to our thick skulls. What will it take? Verses 10 to 15 outline the problem and the warnings of what can and will happen if we don't stop the disobedience. What's the solution? Verses 16 to 17 says this, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Two verses, two verses that tell us what we need to do to avoid going down this path. Ironically, it starts with a ritual. It's almost as if God's being a little bit ironic. He's like, I don't like these rituals, so go and wash yourself in the way I've told you to. Purify yourself, get clean, get, get clean and stop doing it. The washing is an outward acknowledgement that we're not clean. But I had a shower yesterday is no excuse. Sorry, I'm just looking at a certain person. But I had a shower yesterday is not an excuse when you spent a day and an evening and a night in the sweaty heat. We need to be clean as we come to God. Wash yourselves. Admit your issues. Recognize where you're going wrong. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you acknowledge where you're going wrong? Do you come before God? You don't need to do it to me. But do you come before God and say, God, this is where I'm going wrong. Lay it at his feet. Put it down. Admit your issues. Can I just say this? It doesn't say, wash your partner. <laughs> it doesn't say, wash your friend. It says, wash yourself. Sort yourself out. It is something that only the individual can do. Wash, cleanse, and stop covers everything. Cease to do evil. That covers everything from sexual sin to slander or gossip, from murdering someone to even thinking badly of someone. Remember last week, write it on your hand and on your heart. Put it right in your action and in your thinking. Stop being hateful towards one another. Don't do it, but don't think it either. Stop criticizing others. Jesus told a story about planks and specks. Take the plank out of your own eye. Stop worrying about the other people who've got specks in their eyes. Sort yourself out. This morning, God is saying the same to me and to you. Wash yourself. 
and stop doing wrong. We can't control what other people do or don't do. But verse 17 is a verse repeated throughout the whole Bible. Seek justice. In other words, do what's right. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Note it doesn't say, get yourself clean and then tell everybody else to get washed. It doesn't say that. Get yourself clean and then tell everyone else to do it. it doesn't say that. It says start standing up for people. Start building people up. Stop doing the stuff that's wrong. Defend, stand up and plead. That's before God. Encourage, build up. Not knock down, point fingers and walk away, but help, build up and strengthen. Each week as we go through this series, we will have a verse that I want to encourage you to remember. Verse 17 is one that's really good. I'm turning into Jeff doing his uh, old to new. I've got a verse that I want you to remember. Verse 17 would be a good one, but it's not verse 17. It's verse 18. Because despite the damage, the judgment, the warning, despite God's anger, verse 18 to 20 says this. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Very famous verse, yeah? Maybe you didn't realize it was in the context of God saying, stop doing the wrong stuff, pack it in. I've had enough, I'm gonna stop listening to you. But he says, but though your skin, sins are like scarlet, I'm gonna make them pure. I can be the one that sorts you out. I can be the one that changes everything. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That last section starts with a gentle invitation. It doesn't say, come. It says, come now. It's a gentle. Come itself would be a real demand. But the way it's written in the original Hebrew, it says, come now. It's a father saying to his children, come. Even though I've said this is going to happen, even though I've said this is really bad, come there is a phrase, isn't there, as pure as the driven snow. That means the snow's been dirtied. And this is the image that's being made here that wants a blanket of snow that covers over everything, gets churned up again. You need another blanket of snow to get rid of the mess. There's a film, Gangs of New York. It's quite a violent film. But the opening scene was filmed in the snow because they specifically wanted the contrast between the people's blood as they fought and the snow. The red, the bright red, compared to the purity of the snow. Blood stains and is a stark reminder of what shouldn't be there. God says, even though you've done all these things, you've had this affair with idols, I want you to come back to your senses. Wash yourselves. Here's the invitation. And it's the same to you today. You can start over. You can start over. You can be made new. You can be restored. But if you don't want that, then your rebellion and disobedience will end in death. That sounds harsh, but God is saying time and time again the same message. Come now. Come now. I am fair. I am just I'm actually outrageously graceful and merciful and compassionate. Even if you are thoroughly stained today, God can make it right again.
Just stop doing the thing that stains you. Stop doing the thing that makes a mess. There is no sitting on the fence. We all worship something. If you don't worship God, you worship something else. There's no in-between. Don't sit on the fence. All of us are stained with something that isn't made to be there. What's yours? God can clean you up and sort you out. As we start off in Isaiah, we see that despite the prediction ahead, if we don't change course, that there is hope, an unshakable hope and a certain promise. I think it's the other way around, isn't it? A certain hope and unshakable promise. Why? Because God is outrageously graceful. Do you know him? Do you know the God who's outrageously graceful? Right now, you and me and all the us will know the roads that we are going down. Only you. God says, stop. And go a different way. Turn around. You're heading to destruction. Even if you think it's just a small detour or a lay-by or a service station on the road, get back on track. And what's the promise if we do? It's a blessing instead of a curse. The curse we bring on ourselves, the blessing is given by God. So as, as I finish today, will we choose life? Will we choose hope? Or today, will we choose to ignore and say, actually, God, I don't care. You're not going to stop me. I'm going to carry on down this path. I'm going to do those things that I know you don't like, even in my thought life, in my heart life, and in my actions. Isaiah says, there's a warning. But the promise is, you can be changed. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the promise of your scripture. I thank you for the truth that can set us free. And I pray for anyone watching this morning or anyone in this room, I pray, Lord, that as they sit in this chair, that you, your Holy Spirit will be challenging them on thoughts and on actions that they've been, they've been putting instead of you. Father God, I pray, Lord, that they won't just go from here and do nothing about it. But Father God, that they will listen to your word from thousands of years ago and say, yep, that's true of me today. What does God say? Wash yourself. Stop doing wrong. It's Jesus' blood that's been shed so that we can be made white as snow. It's Jesus who's paid the price. But there will be a time-limited offer. So, Father, help us today to choose to go down the way that leads to salvation and restoration. Help us today to come before your throne and say, yes, Jesus, I'm sorry. I lay down that stuff. And no longer am I going to go down that path. In Jesus' name.